true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. There is no denying the power of signs and symbols. Take, for example, oh, I can't get there from here. The American flag. Nope, not that one yet. That one. That's the American flag. Let's not be confused. When we see it, it emotes in us our history of fighting for freedom, and it provokes in us both physical and verbal responses. We stand, we salute, we hold our hand over our heart, we sing the national anthem, and we say our pledge of allegiance. Now let's go to the next one. That one. My, my personal favorite among the ones we'll look at. It has nothing to do with yesterday, let's be clear. It just happened to work its way into the sermon. If I show this symbol, some of us in the room will well up with pride and others of us, I can see the responses I'm getting. I can almost see your blood boiling. Well, let's go to another one. She had no idea she was going to be an example in a sermon. But Well, if I show us this symbol, others of us will actually well up with excitement. And for the rest of us, our, our blood might boil just a little bit. I'm, I'm just saying, it's a possibility. What about this one? Let's go to the next one. I think we can all agree on this one. This one, the cross, is unquestionably both the most comforting and controversial of all, all of the signs and symbols of the world. Throughout time and space, no sign or symbol has united people and divided them like the cross. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 18. He says, the word of the cross is folly, folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, he says, it is the power of God. In last Sunday's gospel reading, we heard Jesus ask his disciples this question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am. Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Peter made this confession, Jesus called Peter the rock. Jesus then told Peter that he would build his church upon this rock. He told Peter that the very gates of hell would not prevail against it. And then he did this. He gave Peter the keys he gave him the keys to the kingdom of God. Imagine that. He told Peter that whatever Peter binded on earth would be bound in heaven, and whatever he loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. This is amazing to think about. It's amazing to think about a little bit because this week, in stark contrast, this same Jesus calls this same Peter Satan. Just for clarity, the word Satan means adversary of God, the opponent of God. Satan is the one who subverts the very plans of God, the one who seduces humans into sin and to falsehood. 
And if I've done my job well, I hope you're asking, what happened? How did we get here? How did Peter go from being given the keys to the kingdom of God in one moment to being called Satan, the opponent of God, the enemy of God, in the very next moments? Spoken plainly, the answer is found in the cross. You see, when Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, and importantly, when Jesus affirmed Peter's confession, it is hard to adequately articulate the things that were welling up in Peter's heart and mind. In short, everything that the Israelites had ever hoped for seemed to be coming to fruition. In this moment and into this man, Jesus, God's own Messiah. And for Peter and for the rest of them, it was game on. Our own Anglican bishop, N.T. Wright, describes it this way. The obvious answer now was this. To march into Jerusalem, gathering supporters along the way. To say your prayers to fight the battle, to overthrow the Roman Empire, to take back the temple, and to install Jesus as king. Is it any wonder then that when Jesus began talking about the cross and how he must be killed and on the third day rise again that Peter rebuked him, saying, this shall never happen to you, Lord, After all, what kingdom can be established if the king is dead? And raised on the third day, what was Jesus even talking about? What event in all of human history could they point back to that would cause them to believe that this kind of thing was even possible? For the followers of Jesus, these words simply made no sense. In fact, to them, it was utter nonsense. And Peter, well, he was just the one who articulated the fear that all of them felt. If this message got out beyond the disciples, people would think Jesus had lost his mind. That's why Peter dared to rebuke Jesus. Only it wasn't Jesus who had lost his mind. It was Peter and all of humanity who was lost, spiritually lost. Wandering aimlessly in the desert of sin, desperately in need of a Savior, for you are not setting your minds on the things of God, Jesus said, but of man. So what are these thoughts of man? What are the thoughts of man? Simply put, in our sinful state, we protect ourselves and we preserve our lives at all costs. When push comes to shove, we humans will do anything we can and everything we can to keep ourselves from harm, even if it comes at the expense of another person. And we need look no further than Peter to know that this is true. When Jesus was put on trial, Peter, who had walked with Jesus for three years, Peter, who had heard the teaching of Jesus, Peter, who had seen the miracles, Peter, who was among Jesus' three closest friends, denied that he ever knew him, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter kept himself 
from harm. And then he watched as Jesus was crucified on a cross. That's what it means to have in mind the thoughts of men. And just to be clear, if we had been there, we would have done exactly the same thing. How do we know? Because that's exactly what everyone else did do. But now, thanks be to God, we have the benefit of hindsight. Before Christ was crucified, we can sympathize with Peter's reasoning. No, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But only because Peter didn't know what he didn't know, and he didn't know what Jesus knew. And this is what Jesus knew. That greater love has no man than he laid down his life for another. Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for another. And so when Jesus gave his back to the wood and his hands and his feet to the nails and his brow to a crown of thorns, he was doing no less than giving his life for the world and his love for you and for me. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, for God demonstrates, God demonstrates, he shows, he reveals his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for this reason, the cross of Christ Jesus has become the sign and the symbol of our salvation. And now this is what it means to set our minds on the things of God. It means to accept the meaning and the message of the cross. Why is the cross foolishness to those who are perishing? Listen carefully. Because those who are perishing are the ones who still behave like Peter did in today's gospel. Even though they hear the very word of God speaking to them, they still try and tell God how to be God, rebuking Him until they finally reject Him. Not your will, God, but mine be done. But for those who are being saved, as Paul says, the cross is the power of God. Why? Because these are the ones who hear the Word of God and they say in reply, not my will. Not my will be done, but thine be done. This is why Jesus says to Peter and to us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Where is Jesus going? To the cross. If we're going with Jesus, we are going to the cross. Why? Because that's where he went. Because he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? My friends, it comes down to this. The cross is the great exchange. The cross is the great exchange. The cross confronts us with our sin and it calls us to salvation. The cross invites us to give ourselves to Jesus. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, 
all of our fears and all of our failures to fully and to finally and to freely be honest with God about ourselves, about our sins, against him, against others, and against ourselves, to give him the very best parts of ourselves and the very worst, to give our whole self to him and exchange, this is what he does. He gives himself to us. We're not merely attaching ourselves to a set of doctrines, though we are doing that. We're not merely attaching ourselves to words on a page, though we are doing that. We're attaching ourselves to Jesus, the Son of God, in a relationship, like a marriage, to be fully and freely known and loved, to give ourselves fully to Him as He gives Himself fully to us. And when we do this, friends, this is what happens. First, we feel the effects of His salvation. They, they flow into us. His love, His peace, His joy, they, they fill the very depths of our bodies and our minds and our souls with new and abundant life in Him. Assuring us that we are forgiven and we are free. And this is the cry of every human heart. Can you hear it this morning? Can you hear it this morning? To realize that God is for us and not against us. And when we come to that place and when we make that confession, this is what happens. All of our sin and all of our shame, it just melts away. It melts away into the safety and into the security of His saving grace. But then there's this second thing that happens to us. And the second thing that happens is actually evidence that the first thing is happening. As His love, as His peace, as His joy begin to flow into us, they also begin to flow out of us like a cup running over, as the Scripture says. And here's what it looks like as the bitterness and the anger and the loathing of ourselves and the lashing out at others begins to leave us. We become the sign. And we become the symbol that points the world to Jesus because we have understood the meaning and embraced the message of the cross. as has been said by many theologians, and I want you to think about this from a personal point of view. You become His hands. You become His feet. Why? Because you bear His heart. Now looking at others with Love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because that's exactly how Christ looked at you from the cross. My friends, to have the things of God in mind is to have the heart of God in mind. That's what Jesus did in Peter. 
this is what God is doing in us and this is what God wants to do through us and all of it, every bit of it, His goodness, His grace, and His glory is found in the cross. The cross. As Jesus was going to the cross, if we want to be found in Him, we must go to the cross.